MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, May 13th, 2022. Today, Donald Trump is under federal investigation for those 15 boxes of classified documents he stole. Five Republican members of Congress have been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. Congresswoman Katie Porter raises concerns about a Trump bribery scheme. And there's a giant black hole at the center of the galaxy. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. I couldn't let the black hole thing go. I had to talk about it. How could you not? I mean, there's so much (laughs) behind the fact that they have found a giant black hole at the center of the galaxy. That's not either of our hearts. At this point. <laughs> yeah. Or or the January 6th committee where subpoenas go to die. Yes. Where no subpoena or light can escape. So speaking of subpoenas, I'm going to be talking with Hugo Lowell. From I'm the- also glad. I'm sorry, AG. I'm glad the black hole story doesn't have anything to do with Madison Cawthorn. Yes. Because I feel like at this point, mm-hmm. anything does have to do with Madison Cawthorn. Yeah. When he tweeted, just he tweeted out 2,000 mules. I was like, please don't show us video of you and 2,000 mules. And then <laughs> my friend Michael Castleberry responded, 2,000 mules in a row? Oh, my God. <laughs> Clerks for the win. So good. But yeah, talking about the, the subpoena black hole, I'm going to be discussing that with Hugo Lowell from The Guardian. And not just the subpoenas, but how the story came out, why it was rushed, why none of the congressmen had seen the subpoenas by the time the press had gotten a hold of it, and uh, a couple of other speculative kind of space beans things about whether or not we think people are going to show up. And you might be surprised by the answer. So stick around for that interview because it's not what you think, I would say. So I'm excited for you to hear that. Um, Other than that, we've got the good news later and let's uh, get to the news and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. So Dana, huge, giant, big day for justice in the news today. Seriously, I like I, I I'm so excited about this story and no one's covering it, of course. Of course. They're covering the subpoenas and uh, you know, of course, COVID and baby formula and inflation and how are people dealing with gas prices and how everything how the black hole at the center of the galaxy is going to impact Democrats in the midterm elections. But nobody's talking about the fact that federal prosecutors have begun a fucking grand jury investigation into whether classified White House documents that ended up at Trump's Florida home were mishandled. And that's according to two people who were briefed on the matter. The intensifying inquiry suggests that the Justice Department is examining the role of Trump and other officials in the White House in their handling of sensitive materials during the final stages of his administration. In recent days, the Department of Justice has taken a series of steps showing that its investigation has progressed beyond the preliminary stages. Uh, Prosecutors issued a subpoena to the... Now, I want you to listen to that again. In recent days, in recent days, the DOJ has taken a series of steps showing that the investigation into these 15 boxes has progressed beyond the preliminary stages. Recent days. Remember that. Put a pin in that. Prosecutors issued a subpoena to the National Archives and Records Administration to obtain boxes of classified documents, according to the two people familiar who spoke on a condition of anonymity because of the ongoing investigation. 
The authorities have also made interview requests to people who worked in the White House in the final days of the Trump presidency. That's according to one of the people who's probably one of the people who was requested to give an interview (laughs) in the final days of Trump's presidency. Now, I also have breaking sort of unsourced rumors, intelligence news, that some people are also being asked to go and talk to the Manhattan district attorney about Trump overinflating and deflating the valuation of his assets. And so that's also happening behind the scenes. But this is about the 15 boxes, and it's focused on the discovery by the National Archives in January. Remember, recent days, the DOJ has taken the investigation out of the preliminary stages. But the National Archives in January said that at the end of Trump's term, he'd taken these boxes home from the White House that contained government documents, mementos, gifts, and letters. Found out they were top secret. Okay? some of these documents, and they hadn't been marked as declassified either. After the boxes were returned to the National Archives, its archivists found documents containing items marked as classified national security information, SCI. And that's what the agency told Congress in February. And in April, it was reported to the federal authorities were in the preliminary stages of investigating, that's last month, the handling of classified documents. That's when we found out the investigation was in its preliminary stages. Buried lead, the subpoena, that was sent to the National Archives in recent days for the classified documents, is one of a series of requests that the Justice Department has made to the agency for records from the Trump administration in recent months, according to two people familiar. So if this investigation and this subpoena for the 15 boxes went out in the last couple of days, but the Department of Justice has been subpoenaing documents from the National Archives for months, that means they're investigating something else besides the 15 boxes. Does it make sense? You following me? I'm following you. I smell what you're stepping in, AG. Good. And I'm stepping in a giant pile of meadows manure is what, <laughs> is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> because he is also, you know, handed over some of the documents to the committee, stopped cooperating, hasn't been indicted for his contempt of of the subpoena that the committee sent to him. And we've been speculating, well, maybe the Department of Justice is investigating Meadows. He did violate the Presidential Records Act on several occasions by not handing his shiz over to the National Archives. And so that could be one of the things that the, the Department of Justice, why they have been subpoenaing documents for months, other documents besides what was in those 15 boxes. Anyway, Buried fucking lead right there in paragraphs 97 of the New York Times. Now, the investigation is focused. This boxes, the 15 boxes probe is focused on how the documents made their way to the residents, who boxed them up, whether anyone knew that classified materials were being improperly taken out of the White House because you have to prove corrupt intent. Right. That's why Hillary wasn't indicted for her use of a private email server, because she had no corrupt intent. She wasn't trying to leak it to, you know, I don't know, Russia. So there's no corrupt intent there. But that's why they're trying to find out if they knew that they were improperly taken from the White House and how they were ultimately stored at Mar-a-Lago, where they mishandled. That's according to a person familiar with the matter, who also spoke on the condition of anonymity. Probably one of the guys who boxed up the documents. (laughs) An investigation, and here's where the New York Times brings up Hillary Clinton over a similar issue involving her personal email account ended without her being charged. And in the case of Trump, legal experts say presidents have the ability while in office to essentially declassify whatever they want, which could complicate any possible prosecution. 
But other experts, including myself, say that there's a declassification process and none of those marks were on these documents. And then you're just putting them in a room in Mar-a-Lago for anyone to just walk in and take them. The classified documents are considered presidential records under federal law. And because of that distinction, Trump's lawyers were notified of the Justice Department's request, giving them the opportunity to block their release by going to court to quash the subpoena. It's unclear if the lawyers have responded. And what is clear is that the lawyers are the leak to Maggie Haberman for this fucking story. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just in my personal opinion. So that's big ass news, though. Not only do we know that there is now a federal criminal investigation of the mishandling of classified documents into Donald Trump himself, but that they have been subpoenaing records from the National Archives for months. And what could those be about? So good. And AG, speaking of subpoenas. Yeah. Next up in line, the committee investigating the January 6, 2021. I was doing jazz hands, which I'm now going to <laughs> refer to as subpoena hands. Subpoena hands. Yes. The committee that's investigating the riot in the Capitol attack by a pro-Trump mob has subpoenaed five Republican members of Congress, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Now, this is after they refused to cooperate with the panel's inquiry. So they've been asking them to show up at their own accord for a long time now. Yeah, since January. Well, look at this. Rep. Benny Thompson, who is the chair, and he chairs the select committee, said Thursday that the panel has subpoenaed McCarthy, Mo Brooks, Andy Biggs, Scott Perry, and I can't afford a jacket, Jim Jordan. That's going to be his excuse not to show up. I don't have a jacket. I don't have a blazer. You can borrow one of mine. I'm a lesbian. I've got 40. Just pick one out (laughs) of the closet, you asshole. It's like when you go to dinner and don't have a coat and tie. Like, we can provide that for you, sir. Yeah. Now, this move, AG, marks a significant escalation in the committee's efforts to obtain information related to lawmakers' communications with then-President Donald and White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows before, during, and after the attack. And this is a quote. Before we hold our hearings next month, we wish to provide members the opportunity to discuss these matters with the committee voluntarily. And that was from Thompson. And he went on to say, regrettably, shocking, the individuals receiving subpoenas today have refused and we're forced to take this step to help ensure the committee uncovers facts concerning January 6th. We urge our colleagues to comply with the law, do their patriotic duty, and cooperate with our investigation as hundreds of other witnesses have done. I love that they're like, meh Now, the committee said in its letters to McCarthy and Brooks that it's compelling the two Republicans to appear for depositions on May 31st. Depositions for Biggs and Perry are scheduled for May 26th, and Jordan is scheduled to testify May 27th. Now, the subpoenas come ahead of the committee's long-awaited public hearings, which are scheduled to begin June 9th. Investigators have been working to identify precedents for subpoenaing sitting members, according to two people familiar with the inquiry. One example in which they have focused on uh, is the House Ethics Committee's two-year probe into the personal finances of former Congressman Charles Rangel. Now, the New York Democrat, who was ultimately found guilty on 11 ethics charges, was subpoenaed by the investigative subcommittee after refusing repeated requests for a forensic accountant's report and other documents. So all five of the Republican lawmakers subpoenaed Thursday have declined to voluntarily provide information to the committee, as we said before. In a brief interview with reporters Thursday, McCarthy declined to say whether he would comply with the subpoena while reiterating his criticism of the committee. Now, Jordan, Perry, Biggs, and Brooks, they also declined to say whether they would comply and said they hadn't yet seen the subpoenas as of Thursday afternoon. And Mo Brooks went on to say, quote, it would be wise to wait to respond to the subpoena 
until the five members have a chance to discuss a possible joint response (laughs) collusion, which sounds to (laughs) me like they want to get their story straight. Mm. Now, AG, I have to, and the Beans listeners, I have not heard the interview that you're going to go to. So my thought, and this may surprise people, is they're kind of between a rock and a hard place because they're in a committee that might be in charge of subpoenas at a later date. And if Jordan does not comply with the subpoena, he's setting a precedent that so can the people he's subpoenaing and there will be no consequences. So they're sort of kind of fucked at this point. And so they might actually have to show up. Now, whether they actually say anything or take mm-hmm. the fifth, we won't know. But those are my beans. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. And you're yes. just nodding and you don't have to say anything. <laughs> very, very interesting. Um, yep, yep, Dana. I'm going to talk to Hugo Lowell all about that. But that is still a, a few minutes down the road. First, I want to tell you about Rep. Katie Porter and she, how she's raising awareness about former Trump's latest financial debacle, which is a newly uncovered bribery scheme, Ooh. which in any other day, this would be in the news cycle for weeks. It would be the biggest fucking scandal on the planet. But yet here we are. I, it's, I haven't heard a minute on it, except for uh, when Katie Porter appeared on MSNBC last night. And that's where she offered details about the latest developments involving a former Trump Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, former Deputy Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt, and a real estate developer, Mike Ingram. Bernhardt and Ingram reportedly had an off-the-record meeting that is believed to have led to a quid pro quo. According to Porter, three major occurrences happened shortly after that meeting. First, the Army Corps of Engineers reportedly announced they were reopening the permit process for an area in Arizona that was previously deemed environmentally sensitive. Hmm. Around that same time, Ingram and a dozen of his business acquaintances donated $250,000 to the Trump Victory Fund and the Republican National Committee. Shortly after the donation was made, top-ranking fish and wildlife officials received a call where he was told, this particular official was told, that a high-level politico wanted him to reverse his decision that his development would harm the environment. The Democratic lawmaker also made it clear that this appears to be a quid pro quo because the real estate developer and his friends received a kickback after donating to the former president's victory fund. Quote, this developer was basically able to buy his way around environmental protection law. Porter's remarks on MSNBC came as the House Natural Resource Committee filed a criminal complaint against the U.S. Department of Justice. Porter made it clear that this type of, I think they don't mean the U.S. Department of Justice. I think they mean the Environmental Protection Agency, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure why the House would file a complaint, a criminal complaint against the Department of Justice. But anyway, Porter made it clear that this type of egregious situation should indicate to Congress that reestablishing the rule of law and the expectation that administration officials are going to follow it. All right. Thank you so much, A.G. And for the first time, here's your black hole story. Astronomers have captured an image of the supermassive black hole at the center of our universe. If that's not fucking, I just, it really just sums up the pandemic at this point for so many of us. It's actually at the center of our galaxy. Oh, thank you. Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like, it's close by, you know, relatively speaking. Thank you for the correction on universe, which is really funny. There's a black (laughs) hole in the center of my universe. (laughs) Don't say it's me. It's not me, is it? (laughs) It's definitely me. It's the first direct observation confirming the presence of the black hole known as Sagittarius A as the beating heart of the Milky Way. Now, black holes don't emit light, but the image shows the shadow of the black hole surrounded by a bright ring, which is light bent by the gravity of the black hole. Now, astronomers said the black hole is four million times more massive than our sun. 
Yes. Now, Michael Jordan, I love when people's names double up. This is an astrophysicist at Harvard, although I'm sure the other Michael Jordan could probably reach the black hole. This is an astrophysicist at Harvard. He said, quote, for decades, astronomers have wondered what lies at the heart of our galaxy, pulling stars into tight orbits through its immense gravity. Now, the black hole is about 27,000 light years away from Earth. I love this shit, which is why I'm reading the story more slowly so you all can soak this in. Yeah, me too. Our solar system is located in one of the spiral arms of the Milky Way galaxy, which is why we're so distant from the galactic center. Now, if we could see this in our night sky, the black hole would appear to be the same size as a donut sitting on the moon. Okay. So this is a quote. He said, we were stunned by how well the size of the ring agreed with predictions from the Einstein's theory of general relativity. And this is from the EHT project scientist Jeffrey Bauer from the Institute of Astronomy and Astrophysics, Academia Sinica, Taipei, in a statement. Now, went on to say, these unprecedented observations have greatly improved our understanding of what happens at the very center of our galaxy and offer new insights on how these giant black holes interact with their surroundings. So the discovery was made possible by more than 300 researchers from 80 institutions working with a network of eight different radio telescopes around the globe that make up the Event Horizon Telescope. And they saw Ferris pass out at 31 flavors because yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what that sounded like. <laughs> now, the telescope is named after the Event Horizon, the point at which no light can escape from a black hole. This global telescope network essentially forms a single, quote, Earth-size virtual telescope when all eight are linked and observing in tandem. How fucking cool is that story? <sighs> that's just like the cooperation of everyone around the world. It's just so fucking cool. And again, I know it's not politics. I hope y'all forgive me for that. But I wanted to include that story. I love astronomy. And that's just that's just a big discovery. And I mean, it, it, the fact that it it totally is in sync with the Einstein's theory of relativity. It's like, damn, that's so cool. It's amazing. All right. And uh, speaking of relativity. No, that's a dumb segue. Just you know what? We'll be right back with Hugo Lowell. <laughs> <laughs> to discuss the huge news today about the 1-6 committee subpoenas. <laughs> Speaking. <laughs> you made I need me a, laugh. I need a jingle that's just like, I don't have a segue here, or something. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but anyway, we'll be right back. Stick around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. The Beans Today is brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep plays an integral role in health. As you know, a good night's sleep empowers the body to recover, helps you wake up feeling refreshed and ready to take on the day. Unfortunately, many people struggle with sleep and don't get the rest they need. I used to be one of those people. I would spend hours tossing and turning every night. It caused me to wake up sore and groggy the next day. I needed a solution, and I needed it fast. And I found it with Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has an online sleep quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else when Helix can give you the perfect mattress designed for the way you sleep? I took the mattress quiz and I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress and it has changed my whole life. Now I no longer struggle to fall asleep. I don't toss and turn. I wake up feeling ready to take on the day. They've got mattresses for everyone, including soft, medium, firm mattresses, plus size mattresses for plus size sleepers, and even mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains. Helix makes it so easy. Once they match you with your perfect mattress, they'll ship it to you for free. It comes with a 10-year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 sleeps with no risk. They'll pick it up for free if you don't love it, but you will. 
Helix even has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a good night's sleep is never far away. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick by GQ and Wired Magazine in 2020 and has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners. Just go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you with the best sleep of your life. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. I am joined today by congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell. Hugo, welcome. Thank you. Great to be back. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again, my friend. So big day, big things happening in D.C. with a subpoena out to some Republican members of Congress. First of all, a little pleasantly surprised that the committee had the uh, the chutzpah to actually subpoena members of Congress, members of, of the body that they that they're in. So can you tell us a little bit about who got a subpoena today? Yeah. So, you know, your your prime targets, basically the people who got letters and then turned around and said no way to the committee, their their non-compliance or their, their refusal to accept the invitation has been rewarded with a subpoena. So, you know, McCarthy, Jim Jordan, Scott Perry, the first three House Republicans who got letters from the committee back in whenever it was January. And then also the other members who got letters last week uh, and then turned around and said no way to the committee. So Mo Brooks uh, and Andy Biggs. Curiously, there are no subpoena to Ronnie Jackson. That was the one admission. Yeah. And, and that was one person who they said they wanted to continue to speak to. And this seems a little bit different from kind of the Meadows stuff in that it does seem that there are some things that the committee might not have been able to get or didn't already get that they would need testimony from these members of Congress to to get. Is that sort of the sense that you're getting or, or do you not know about what the committee might already have or why these subpoenas were issued? The one thing that we don't have clarity on is the question of like, why now? Like, why has the committee decided to issue subpoenas now? You know, they they say, you know, we, we, we were always looking at the available evidence and we're deciding if we need them to come in or not. But, you know, they could have and arguably did reach that decision in January when they started sending the letters. Like, if you're going to send a letter, like, why wouldn't you send a subpoena? And it was purely a, a you know, a, a worry about partisan backlash. I think what's changed is the McCarthy tapes that the New York Times obtained and some of the re- revelations uh, in the DOJ court filings. And the and, and what is and I think they're trying to capitalize on the pu- the public outrage at how deeply these members were involved in the former president's attempts to overturn the election. So I think that's kind of the impetus here for why we're seeing the subpoenas now. Yeah, and they did say, well, we've found some new evidence in the last few months that uh, we didn't have before. And and like you said, that's probably got a lot to do with those tapes that were released, the McCarthy tapes. But, you know, I mean, it also could, like you said, just be, well, the public's heard those tapes now. We, we maybe, the, maybe they knew about them, but now we kind of have to. Otherwise, we look like we're not doing our job. But um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. And as it turns out, though, when I say who got who got subpoenas, they actually when they were asked to, you know, provide comment like McCarthy and Brooks, et cetera, Brooks, who said, you know what, I think we'll all get together and decide on like a joint reply. 
and McCarthy was like, this is, you know, political theater or whatever. But none of them said they wouldn't Mm. appear, which I thought was interesting because generally what we've seen is immediate refusal to comply with the voluntary letters, but not necessarily these subpoenas. And they didn't when they were asked about him, they said, I haven't seen it yet, which, um, you know, there's some information that you have about the fact that this news was kind of rushed. Can you talk about that? Yeah. And, and let me let me kind of take this step by step. Like, so the, so the first point about, you know, whether or not they will cooperate, you know, the fact that they didn't say they wouldn't cooperate, you know, Jordan and Jordan's always been very coy about this, for instance, right? Like when the, when he got a letter, he never outright said, I would not provide voluntary cooperation to the committee and the investigation i mean ultimately he didn't but he didn't outright say it. he like didn't close the door on it and i thought the way that mccarthy sidestepped the question today on on, on capitol hill when he was speaking to us um was interesting in that he also did not close the door on complying with the subpoena and this is what the committee has been betting on the committee knows that should there be a change of majority in the next congress and people like jim jordan are going to you know, wield the gavel on the House Judiciary Committee and might want to issue subpoenas to Democrats if they do like a partisan investigation into Hunter Biden. If they want to subpoena Democrats or Democratic members of Congress, but they've already devalued the congressional subpoena for members by themselves not showing up, then they're in a problem. And so I think there's a very careful weighing going on hmm. between McCarthy and these other members thinking, do we want to outright refuse these subpoenas and set a precedent for members not complying with congressional subpoenas and virtually wiping out their power overnight? Or do we want to give them a little bit and, you know, go through the motions of complying with the subpoena, but extracting maybe like a concession, maybe they'll you know, testify in public or something. And that way they can keep the power of the congressional subpoena intact for when they want to use it potentially. I think that's the first one. Right. Right. Yeah. And if I were the house, I'd be like, you're not testifying in public without us talking to you behind closed doors first, because you're just going to be Jim Jordan. Right. But as to your second point, though, the way it was rushed, Mm -hmm. they were rushed. And if you look at the subpoena letters, the letters say delivery by hand. So there was presumably going to be a committee council that went to each of their offices and dropped these letters off. But when we asked McCarthy if he had seen the letters, he said he hadn't even seen it yet. And part of that, at least my hypothesis, is because they were so anxious to get out of the door. And that is partly because I was sitting on this subpoena story last night. I learned that the subpoenas had been authorized last night, and that the committee had been working on this whole of yesterday. And then when I learned the names of the subpoena targets this morning, the select committee put me on hold when I call them to call for comment and use that time that I was on hold to quickly rush out the statement and the off-record guidance to make sure that I didn't break the story because they wanted to be the ones to announce it. But in doing so, they kind of went way too early or much earlier than they had hoped. And I think part of the reason why McCarthy and, and these other members never got the subpoenas before the news became public was because they were trying to make sure that they were the ones who announced it because they were desperate to avoid the the optics of further leaks. Yeah. And so for anyone who was, you know, upset earlier, I think it was a week or two ago when when the Department of Justice was 
refusing to allow certain former members of DOJ to answer certain questions to the committee or they were refusing to release certain documents with regards to Meadows. This is kind of a testament to just how leaky the Congress is. We, we, it took months for us to learn that the Department of Justice has been investigating via a grand jury the 15 boxes of documents stolen by Trump. Months it took us to learn that. Months it took us to learn Sidney right. Powell was under invasion. It took months. This hours, within hours, <laughs> the subpoenas, the ink's not even dry yet, and the story is getting out, or they're doing their best to prevent the story from getting out. So I, I, I always kind of want people to think about when the Department of Justice refuses to hand things over to Congress or tell them what they're doing. That might be why. Also, Steny Hoyer said something interesting about this. He's like, if you want to go ahead and subpoena us, if you take over the Congress, we will show up and tell the truth. We haven't committed any crimes. Right. So, but, you know, there's, there could be this double-edged sword. Like you said, they might have some sort of conditions on appearing. And then if they don't, if the committee doesn't honor those conditions, then, you know, the GOP can say, hey, we tried. We tried with this illegitimate political witch hunt committee. And uh, they wouldn't uh, acquiesce to our demands. And, and that's just, it's all just seems like uh, political talking points at, at this point. I mean, it's all political theater, but the committee knows this as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think on the one hand, they believe that Republicans might just come in and cooperate if they issue the subpoena. And that was why they issued the subpoenas, because there's this, this kind of game theory running about, you know, if, if you want to do it, then you have to comply as well first. But on the flip side, they also know there's a very good chance that they don't cooperate. And, you know, Republicans will be like, to hell with precedent. You know, we'll issue, you know, if now that you've subpoenaed us, we're going to subpoena the next, you know, next Congress or whatever we get power anyway. Like, we don't care about whether we honor it or not. You know, you're the, you're the suckers almost that, you know, <laughs> abide by precedent. You know, we don't care about something like that. Mm-hmm. And may just not come and testify at all, in which case, you know, the... The, the subpoenas don't amount to anything. And I think part of the calculus was the committee realized that they could never enforce these subpoenas in court. Or if they attempted to do so, it would take months and months. The courts and, and the justice system hates weighing in on internal House rules and House procedure. It just doesn't like to do it. it thinks the House should deal with its own problems. And so it was unlikely that they would, you know, they would even take this down an enforcement route. And so I think with that in in like as the backdrop, they decided, you know, it doesn't actually matter if we there's there's no downside anymore. Right. Yeah. It's almost you know in the interest of due process to say, hey, we invited them and then we subpoenaed them. Right. And then also for the optics, because if they did not subpoena some of these members of Congress, although again, why not Ronnie Jackson and then why not Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley? But if they did not, then there would be more public outcry about you know, what's the committee even for, even though we know that they probably can tell the story and quote unquote, blow the roof off of the place without this particular testimony. But the Ronnie Jackson thing is also important, right? Like, yeah, it was it was a very curious admission to me, like admission to me. And I don't know if that if Ronnie Jackson didn't get a subpoena because they don't want to, you know, they want to keep far away from the DOJ investigation. And if they started subpoenaing Ronnie Jackson over revelations that came from Oathkeeper group chats. You know, they were they were talking about Ronnie Jackson in, the, in their group chat. Then maybe that they, him, you know he was a little bit too close to the criminal investigation, and they didn't want to be doing that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like mm-hmm. that seems to me 
like a particularly important line of inquiry. Like you have these guys charged on seditious conspiracy, talking about a certain member, knowing about his whereabouts on the sect as the capital attack is unfolding. Like they weren't saying that about like Pelosi, you know, <laughs> it's like, it is a very right, curious, right. it's a very curious member to choose. It's, he's not like a celebrity guy. Right. Like, it's not like, it's not like Jordan. But he is the one that's mentioned in, in court filings. Right. With regards to the Oath Keepers. And, and that is a very big, massive, giant, ongoing investigation. And so, you know, and we know that they're investigating it now. So we'll see. And again, it kind of lends to that. Don't don't tell the committee anything. It will get out to the public very fast. Mm-hmm. And Zolofgren, you know, with the why now thing, Zolofgren said today, I think on CNN, I think she was talking to Jake Tapper. She said that hey, you know what, everybody, we know that that the midterms are in November. I'm not conceding that we're going to lose in November, but regardless, the Congress ends at the end of the year, no matter who wins the midterms. So right. we know, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll be done by then. I find the timing very interesting, and, and I'm, I'm with you, that this isn't about getting their testimony. It's about just making sure that you subpoenaed it. Yeah, and I think, I think that's, that's absolutely right. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm sorry that you got put on hold by the committee while they released your story out from under you. That is very frustrating. And so uh, I appreciate you coming on to tell us about it today. No, no, thank you. And, and, you know, in many respects, it's a very selfish kind of complaint. But, you know, this is how, and I, and I, I don't think people understand kind of how this world works. Like in our attempts to get news out, like, we have to go through a lot of these machinations and, um, you know, cross off, you know, do the checkboxing and, you know, and, and, and confirm all this stuff. And when the committee plays games like this, it makes it harder for us to do our jobs because I now can't trust the committee with a story. I can't go to them for comment because I can't risk them going forward announcing news that I'm about to break. And so what it actually does is it makes our lives more difficult. It chills you, yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the that's the wider implication of this. Yeah, and and we don't need to be chilling journalists reporting on the insurrection, on results of the insurrection. It's just too important. Thank you for your work. And uh, we will talk soon, I'm sure. Everyone check out The Guardian. Follow Hugo Lowell. Very important follow on Twitter. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, I'm Ben Micellis. I'm Brett Micellis. And I'm Jordy. And we are the hosts of the Midas Touch podcast, the top rated, top watched political podcast for pro-democracy content. Each week we do multiple episodes where we break down the political issues of the day here in the United States and abroad as we fight for democracy. Isn't that right, Brett? That's right, Ben. We've had conversations with some incredible guests like White House Chief of Staff Ron Klain, Beto O'Rourke, DNC Chair Jamie Harrison, Glenn Kirshner, Mary Trump, celebrities like Deborah Messing, Alyssa Milano, Michael Rappaport, and more. So subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast wherever you get your podcast. That's the Midas Touch, M-E-I-T-A-S-T-O-U-C-H podcast. Jordy, anything to add? Shout out to the Midas Mighty! Hi, everybody. It's AG from The Daily Beans. Hey, this is Kimberly Johnson, host of the Start Me Up podcast. Hi, it's Frangela from The Final Word and Idiot of the Week podcast. 
Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast. Hi, it's Mariah and Steve from, from How, How We, we win. win. And we are joining forces to support the How We Win Fund. The midterms are coming and the best way we can fight back against the Republicans is to support Democrats in key battleground states. Our democracy is under attack, but we don't agonize. We, we organize. organize. Yes, we do. Together, we can protect and expand our Democratic majority this November. We are so close to a Cinna mansion-proof majority in the Senate. Take them out. Join the MSW Media family of podcasts and support the races that need us the most by donating to Swing Left's National Impact Fund. Just one donation goes directly to all of Swing Left's top races. A GOP stoking hate, peddling lies, and suppressing our vote means we need everyone to step up to protect voting rights, civil rights, abortion rights, the environment, constitutional gender equality, the government, our institutions, all the things. Do it. Okay. We beat Trumpism before, and together we will make history again. So go to swingleft.org slash fundraise slash how we win to donate what you can, share this with your friends and family, and let's show the GOP that the grassroots persistence is here to stay. This, this is How We Win. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, whoopee stories, things that you're making, if you want to tell me how dumb you think Louis Gohmert is, uh, although he didn't get a subpoena today, so I mean, you know, he's doing better than some of his friends, you can send anything to us, anything and everything, all your pod pet tax and whatnot to dailybeanspod.com. Go there and click on contact. Uh, first up, from Anonymous, no pronouns given. This is part confession and part WTF. I was yesterday years old when I found out one of our good friends is neighbors with, wait for it, a John Eastman. I was ranting to my husband about Eastman in response to some news coverage, and he just casually mentioned that, oh yeah, he's X's neighbor. Names and locations concealed to protect the innocent. The innocent? Really? Uh, <laughs> sorry. How did I not know this? I asked my significant other if I could go egg his house and TP his trees, but alas, no. Our friend has been to neighborhood parties with Eastman and says he's basically nice, but fucking crazy. And yeah, should be in prison. My <laughs> flabber is gasted. That is a great, uh, that might be the episode. It's a, it's a great saying. Uh, is, if you hear that someone drew a big dick with sidewalk chalk on Eastman's driveway, it was me. So I will remain anonymous and also forego pet tax picks in this submission for that reason. Just to protect a dog. If for God forbid you have a dog in the neighborhood and everyone's like, hey, that's the dick drawer's dog. I love this because I, this reminds me of when I went to my Aunt Julie's house for Christmas many years ago, uh, you know, maybe my 30s, like not I wasn't a child. And uh, my sister and I saw these light up deer, you know, like life size wire deer. They're fake, though, but they're lights. You know what I'm talking about? I do. And we saw those in, in, the, in my, my aunt's neighbor's front yard. And so we thought it would be funny if we made them hump. So we put, picked one up and mounted it on the back of this other deer and laughed away giggling, tee hee hee. Went into Aunt Julie's house. Aunt Julie is a jokester. She's a prankster. 
So we figured she would love this shit, right? So we told her, hey, guess what, Aunt Julie? Guess what we did? He, 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 he. And she's like, fuck. And we're like, what? And she's like, they're going to think it's me because I did that last year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Uh, Yeah. So definitely draw that dick on Eastman's driveway. Uh, I'm looking at this next story, and I'm so proud of this guy. Rick, whoever you are, this is fucking awesome. So this is Rick pronouns he and him. And because I'm a golfer, but good news. Today, I scored my first hole-in-one. Now, listen, everyone, this isn't a normal hole-in-one, if you ask me. It was at my local course on a short 256-yard par four. So Rick hit a fucking golf ball. You know how big that is. In a hole just a little bit bigger than that, from 256 yards away on something that should have taken more than like a, a par four, if you understand yeah, that. Yeah, because normally you a get a hole three, in one can, on yeah. a par three, right? Anyway, it's Rick, around I'm so 190, 210 yards. Yeah. Yeah. So that means instead of hitting, Rick, I don't know if you hit with a driver. I don't know how hard you drive, but those are much harder to control. Okay. Anyway, it made me feel hopeful that some long shots can happen. Dem majority in the Senate 2023. Anything's possible, right? Rick also put a map of this so you can see exactly how far he hit this ball. That is fucking awesome, dude. That's amazing. Congratulations. That you're going to remember that for the rest of your ever for the rest of your ever. Yep, for the rest of your ever. My flabber is gasted. I love it. All right. Next up from Cuddly Turtle pronouns she and her. Last election cycle I submitted my name to work at the polling stations. I was not needed at the time, but they kept a list and I was called this year. I've started my training and I'm so excited to be part of the team to make sure our elections are safe and secure. If the hellfire that is our political landscape has done anything, at least it is a catalyst people to get engaged. Yeah, that's very true. One silver lining. Also, my state is now referring to everyone by their gender neutral term voter, as in welcome voter, check in over here. Nice. As opposed to sir or ma'am. I was going to say, what is it? Woman? Welcome woman? Welcome man? (laughs) As opposed to sir or ma'am, which just makes me smile. Love to you all. My pet tax is Toby the Flute, who decided he needed a dog bone. Oh, Toby. (laughs) That's so cool. Welcome, voter. That's beautiful. Now we go from Toby the Flute to Tony of the Sea, pronouns he and him. Good morning, friends. I feel like only recently began listening to MSW, but the reality is that I started absorbing the daily beans early last year. Between a remodel, a head-on collision, Jesus, no injury but a total car, a new pod pet, and my wife a term away from graduating with a cybersecurity degree, life has rushed by. You folks crush my news addiction with the perfect balance of fuck this and how nice is that? (laughs) Do you like the way I read that? I did. That was very good. (laughs) And thank you. In appreciation, I offer some pics of our lovely fur friend, meet Vega. She's pure pug, a fantastic hot mess, loves being outside more than in and is the biggest pile of love in my wife and I's life. She's eight months old, but feels like a mix of old lady and toddler. She's the best. I, too, am a mix of old lady and toddler, and toddler. Tony. <laughs> oh, look at this picture in the snow. This brindle pug. I've never seen the coloration like that. That's a beautiful... And one blue eye? No, I think that's a ringlet. I don't know. It might just be the... Yeah, the English. No, way. look. Oh. It's blue in the other... This pug has huh. one blue eye. This is like a merle. Well, it looks like the pug is mixed with like a, an Australian, Australian shepherd, shepherd and yeah. got one of the eyes. But this is a purebred pug. I didn't know they could merle out like that. That's so beautiful. Me either. That's cool. Cool. Thank you for that. That's amazing. Next up from Rob in New England, pronouns he and him. Hello, all. 
Here's a bit of good news for you. For the past six weeks, I have been a chief social media graphic and video designer and roadside sign holder for a local school committee candidate. Awesome. It's the first time I've ever been involved with any political campaign anywhere ever, apart from chucking a couple of bucks at candidates for national office whom I've never met. In part, I got involved because this candidate is exactly what the school committee needs. He's a certified history and psychology teacher, a certified school principal, a certified school district superintendent, a college psychology professor, and he's got one other resume item that involves national security. So let's just say he's been a little busy the last couple of months. But also, he's truly a decent guy and a champion for teachers in a district that has lately developed a knack for disrespecting its teachers pretty hard. Even with all that, he didn't get elected. This particular town's politics qualifies as ugly with a capital UG, and popularity seems to mean more than qualifications. So my political campaign batting average is, well, below the Mendoza line. But I'm inspired to get involved with another campaign when the opportunity presents itself. If I win the next one, I'll be batting 500. Woo democracy. I don't have pet tax, but I do have a couple of photos of my childhood whoopee to offer. Yes, this is my stuffed bear. It was already pretty ancient when I first became its roommate. My mother added the red felt vest to keep him intact. But the curious part about the bear is the zipper in the back. The zipper would unzip in order for a little tiny music box to be placed inside so the teddy bear could play a lullaby. Pretty sure Antiques Roadshow would take a pass on it now, but it'll stay with me until the end, I think. Meanwhile, thanks for the great work you all do, and let's vote out the bastard people. Oh, oh, that's got a lot of love, that baby. Look at that, Whoopi. Yeah, oh, that no. vest. Oh, there's the zipper. All right. How oh, cool. And to end, we've got Matt. No pronouns given. Good morning, Beanie Babies. After years of modest mouse getting stuck in my head daily, after hearing it on your show and hearing you put out the call for a good news segment bumper, I knew what I had to do. I submit this for your consideration. Keep up the good work. And here's what it sounds like. How awesome. And and seriously, thank you to everyone for sending in your good news and your submissions and your confessions and your pod pets and your whoobies and the small businesses that you own. If you have any that you want to send in to us, please do so by going to dailybeanspod.com. And clicking on contact, we're going to need it. So Dana, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here for the weekend? Because I just want to, should remind everybody today at 3 p.m., Andrew and I, Andrew Torres and I have, uh, uh, Andrew and me, I, Andrew and I have uh, have a happy hour Zoom call for the cleanup on aisle 45 patrons. And then at four o'clock Pacific, an hour later, we have our Zoom call for patrons of this show, this, you know, the Muller She Wrote family of shows. So. That's happening this afternoon. Now, before we get out of here for the weekend, Dana, any final thoughts? No, I have nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think the people have been through enough today, and I think we should just sign off. Although I do actually have a final thought. I thought I was dying today because my allergies and my sinuses are so bad that I took a COVID test. So if it's windy in your area and you feel like, oh my God, this is it, possibly allergies. I think the pollen count's very high. It's windy in Los Angeles. And I think it's unfair. I think it's unfair that allergies and COVID exist at the same time during our lifespan. It's it's rude. Yes, that is rude, as are zits during menopause. I want my zit clemency. I've, I've called for this. I've written several strongly worded letters. So yeah, allergies and COVID should not exist at the same time. I concur. 
All right, cool. So Dana, we'll be back on Monday for the Daily Beans and everybody check out the MSW Book Club and Muller She Wrote on Sunday. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media.